Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... His uh, performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, so Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of the 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away wow. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, Pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. This is Altman, Mark Altman. This is Doctorman, Darren Doctorman, and we are the Trexperts. Inglorious Trexperts. And uh, <laughs> we are, are thrilled for a very special episode to welcome back a very special person. It's, it's the, uh, the proprietor, the network boss. The, the, he the, has, he's like the Ned, Ned Beatty in network of, he has uh, a of the network. talk. <laughs> so welcome back, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett, for the fourth season of Inglorious Trexperts. I am so thrilled to be here, and we're talking about a subject near and dear to all of our hearts, and it's very exciting. Thank you for, uh, it's a great honor to be here for this particular show. Well, we're going to talk about uh, these things that, uh, that dominated the 60s. Now, of course, I have to be honest, had we decided to talk about the Beatles, 
it would probably have been Scott Mance. But because we're instead talking about James Bond. I, above an extinct Japanese volcano, four heavily armored black helicopters spin through the sky in a dance of death. Their target, one man in a flying arsenal that fits in two alligator suitcases. The odds, four to one. They haven't got a chance. Now. Sean Connery is James Bond in Ian Fleming's You Only Live Twice. Sean Connery, James Bond, 007, You Only Live Twice. An Albert R. Broccoli, Harry Salzman presentation in Panavision Technicolor from United Artists, a Transamerica company. You Only Live Twice and Twice is the only way to live. The only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill we got the thriller himself mr robert burnett <laughs> how exciting is this i'm not from manila either no i know i was going there i'm like what what's, i'm what's like that's good... kind of cool I'll, you know the, the what, cattle what's, uh... from seattle no <laughs> <laughs> i know like what's a good star trek planet that sounds like manila <laughs> but i couldn't Drusilla. think of any uh, no, it's great to be here. I wore my my Land of the Giants uh, spindrift shirt because it's so, it was a cool thing from the '60s. So we could say the 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 uh, slave girl Drusilla. No, okay, I can't. I, it's not working. It's Actually, not, it just can't uh, make there it. was something there though. You almost you were, you were grasping on something that uh, yeah, would have yeah. been delightful. I like to grasp yeah. on something. Anyway, yes, that's what she said. <laughs> the slave girl Drusilla. Oh, okay. So anyway, uh, you can't say slave girl anymore. You have to say fire spray. What? Oh, sorry. What that's, is that? A, is that? Oh, because the slave one. Yeah, they renamed it oh. the fire spray. Sorry, that was a that was, that wow. was Star Wars. We we don't talk about Star Wars on this podcast. Not in unless this I'm show. Pl- unless I'm plugging my book, we don't yeah. talk about Star Wars. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just you know. By the way, did you watch um? Did you watch Visions uh, this week on Disney Plus? What do you think? Uh, you know, it was kind of a mixed bag, but for the most part, I really liked it. I, That's I had, how I felt. I had fun with it. You know, I, I, I really liked the idea behind it. You know, when we were working on the next generation uh, restoration and the special features, there was talk uh, at CBS Digital. They wanted to go back and do CGI versions of the animated series. They even did a test. And I always thought that it would be cool to give... Uh, the animated episodes out to all different animation houses around the world and they would have the audio but then they could do whatever they wanted Mm. you know within reason and I kind of felt that with visions I'm like this is kind of what they did giving it to different animation companies and seeing the different the different ideas that were put forward I I really enjoyed it I mean for the most part I thought it was a cool idea I like that they did it I thought the 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 idea behind the the to do it in the first place was cool that it materialized yeah you know it's funny because it was kind of hit or miss but i like that about it because yeah. i, I like the idea that people were doing all kinds of their own interpretations and some i liked and some i didn't because that you know that kind of real you know straight up japanese manja with like the robot who has the four like that stuff i don't care about but like i love the kurosawa homages like yep. that stuff was great 
and and the black and white with the pops of color really yep. really 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 fun um and and uh I, I just think they're being a little adventurous with the franchise which is nice that's always yep. nice when you could be adventurous with the franchise no and it was a, a it was a lot of fun i mean that's and that's what should be happening and and uh it was it was neat i liked it yeah, i just haven't yeah. seen it yet or i would uh, offer a comment but since i haven't i won't which is strange well, for a lot of people you you've been you've been busy because you've been very involved on a secret project mm -hmm. it's not a secret project it's a they, secret report within the, the guild de the details are secret but it's not a secret project it's highly everyone classified knows, everyone knows i'm working on star trek the motion picture the director's edition for you, you know what it's kind of like james bond he's a secret agent that everyone knows about yeah which means he's the worst secret agent in the world if you everybody knows james you, bond yeah but if everybody knows you you're a shitty secret agent you're an agent but you ain't secret baby and your project is kind of like james bond it's being reborn again years <laughs> later you're yeah. doing it again you're coming back a new version of yourself yeah, and i think and what's interesting is it's the same amount of time between the DVD director's edition and the 4K as between Spectre and No Time to Die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the thing that, you know, you're saying, why are we talking about James Bond on a Star Trek podcast? But, you know, look, because obviously it goes on much like no. the, uh, the 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 wow. German no, myths no. in Amadeus. They uh, no, go because... on. They are eternal. <laughs> No, I have to say that I think that we all came to James Bond around the same time we came to Star Trek and they they coexisted with us. And to me, James Bond had nothing to do with Star Trek, but I loved right. them equally almost. It's interesting. I, mean, I love even Star though, Trek more. Even though they both had, you know, their their most well, their their most popular uh, growth in the 60s. Right. Um, I think James Bond is more a product of the 50s, actually. Uh, and yeah. the, the Cold War mentality. Well, but that's when the books were written. So exactly. you could make that argument. Yeah, you could exactly. make that but argument. Remember, 62 is still in the is still in the 50s. We didn't get into the 60s until 64, basically. But, you know, in a way, the James Bond franchise, along with Star Trek, showed me a life that I wanted to lead. Mm. That I, I aspired to be both captain of the Enterprise and be James Bond. So you're I saying mean, the it, thing that ties them together for you is they were both aspirational. Yes. And, and the, the thing about James Bond was as a character, he was really smart. Like he knew what yeah. temperature to serve Bollinger or, or whatever champagne or caviar, which caviar to eat. He just knew stuff. And, and he was really good at his job and he loved the ladies. And I, 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 I felt that that was, to me, that was adulthood. You know, yeah. and he always had great clothes and not just the, the gadgets were cool, but I liked I mean, I liked the, I love when James Bond would walk into a room and do some cool stuff. Yeah. You know, and it was it was I, I just want to be him the same he way. I also to knew be. that you need to wear earmuffs when listening to the Beatles. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're, 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 that's pretty cringe. You know, whenever they try and tie in the pop culture, like I'd say one of their aircraft is missing. It was always a mistake. Yeah. You know, I mean, this stuff from the 60s, but later on, it's the same thing, you know, when when there's a reference to anything that's of the moment, because right. the great thing about the, the Bond movies is even though, they're the, you know, going on 60 years old, they're timeless in a way. Mm. And so it's great that, you know, when you don't tie them into any 
specific uh, part of the era. But, you know, you talk about how you came to Bond. But when you look at the 60s, the two biggest phenomena were James Bond and the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't Star Trek. To no. us, it's, it was Star Trek. To right. us, it's the big three. Star Trek bonded the Beatles, right? But in terms but, of pop culture, Star Trek had a very small footprint. Uh, yeah. Foot, footprint. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's but only in retrospect. Years, that we 10 years back. later, it completely made up for that. Well, what I think is so interesting is if you really drill down, you know, in a way, there are a lot of um, weird synchronicities or, or things that they have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about, obviously, that Kirk is a JFK like figure, but in a lot of ways, he's a bond like figure. You know, he doesn't have the self-loathing, but he is, you know, very smart and very capable. And as you said, has a quote unquote way with the ladies. So well under um, pressure. and work, works well under pressure and, and uh, has saved, and, uh, saved the planet on many occasions. And, you know, he has a loyalty to the crown. Yeah. Uh, the 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 queen queen and country was kind of like the UFP in Star Trek, and I like that. I, I like that there was a sense of loyalty. Like he wasn't some. If he was a character, if Bond was written now, he would be some burnt out, disaffected veteran of foreign wars that that does does good deeds despite himself. You know, whereas yeah. if only I, that's how Bond were written now. <laughs> well, we'll I, get to that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I mean. Because this episode, you know, drops a few days before the big premiere of No Time to Die. Now, we're all a little gun shy because, what, this is the fifth rescheduling, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and it's the second time I've bought tickets. I mean, what's really unfortunate is I had my favorite movie palace seats in L.A., which was in the Cinerama Dome. It was Row M, dead center, my favorite place to sit. Yes, I call uh, it right. Judy Dench. Right. <laughs> and that theater no longer exists. And that was a theater that was built also in the 60s. You know, it was a product no, of the 60s. It, and it exists. It's just not open. Yeah, it's not open. And uh, but now uh, I've got great seats uh, for the special. I mean, I know it's got a media screening before that, but I didn't want to see it with, a me- the, with the uh, I don't want to go to the critic screening. I'm going to see it on the special fan event on what, the 6th or something of October. And I'm going to the Chinese theater, seeing it in IMAX. Nice. nice and this nice. is the first Bond movie in 3D, if you want to see it in 3D. Wow. I don't think oh, we can really? see it in 3D. Yeah, I, I don't think no we can see it in 3D, see it in 3D. Moonraker, I'd see in 3D. That would be exciting. But I, I have no interest in seeing No Time to Die in 3D. I think, you know, before we go on with James Bond, I think we ought to go on with our real-life James Bond and Captain Kirk, William Shatner, who just announced the other day that he's going up into space. Yes, he is. 90 years old, going up with Jeff Bezos in a penis-shaped rocket into space. I can't think of anything more. And we got to hope it's more like Moonraker than You Only Live Twice. Because, you know, when You Only Live Twice, he didn't quite make it into space. But hopefully he'll carry his air conditioner unit in the right hand. And we don't want anyone to topple the rocket. No toppling. No, definitely not. But by the way, is there anything cooler than William Shatner going to space? It's so badass, I can't even begin. And you to, know what? To... I think, heaven forbid, the worst happens. But if it does, that's the most badass way to go out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, he's the living, only my... living the life. 
My only hope, and this must happen in some kind of a ceremony, they have to make him captain of the mission. Oh, God, totally, right? They have to and, make him captain of the mission. And, and, and he has to, and they have to ask him to set the course. He goes, out there, that away, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I mean, you know, coming out of one of the most deeply, darkly cynical times I can imagine in this country, I can't imagine. I don't want to hear, oh, you know, a bunch of Hollywood elite going with a billionaire to space. Come on, man. That's not what this is about. This you, is you know, this should be a joyous celebratory moment of of pop culture meeting science, meeting science fiction. It should be one of the most meeting, aspirational moments in history. The future of humanity. Yes. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about this for a second, because. I am so over reading all this stuff from people saying, oh, they're wasting all this money going into space and what a waste and how horrible these people are. You know what? These guys have, you know, for, for however they, they did it, they filled a need and made a fortune and they choose to spend their money on Blue Origin, on uh, SpaceX, on advancing um, uh, the, the boundaries of knowledge and the capabilities, yeah. which which, you know, NASA quite, you know, can't quite do not because of a lack of will, but a lack of money and, you know, a political will. So I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. And I also I, would like to point out that in the lobby the danger possibilities. No, no. In the lobby of Blue Origin. Yes. The model yes. The of the Enterprise. refit enterprise from Star Trek, the motion picture, the greatest model ever built for a movie maybe rivaled by the mothership in Close Encounters or any of the models in 2001. Jeff Bezos bought that model and it's in the lobby of Blue Origin. He yep. bought it for a quarter of a million dollars. Less it's there that. and now he's done even better. He has. I know it's fashionable for everybody to say, oh, Elon Musk is a Bond villain and Jeff Bezos is, a you know what? They're just freaking very rich fanboys. And yes. to that, I take off my hat. They were you geeks. Know, I mean, 25 years ago, Jeff Bezos was in a room, an office with a like you went to Kinko's and printed out on a dot matrix printer the word Amazon that he had hanging behind his desk. I mean, he made that up. Yeah, you yeah know, he, exactly. He, and, and, you know, Elon Musk created PayPal. Yeah. yeah. And, and these are guys that they are, like you said, Mark, they are the, they are the ultimate nerd fanboys. And now they're they're pushing the limits of human knowledge. I mean. Every time I watch SpaceX land a a, a rocket from orbit, look exactly what he's the way that they did in the fifties. Uh, yeah, and, and his new rocket looks like it was in a George Powell destination yeah, moon. Yeah, yeah, and it's totally. the biggest spaceship ever. That yeah. thing turns sideways. Yeah, and then it and lands. Then it eats other ships. Oh no, that's <laughs> that's. <laughs> I, I mean, and I, look, there's a lot of people. Here's my thing: all the people that now bitch and moan and complain about the world that. Why aren't you all going out and becoming the next Jeff Bezos? And why aren't you being the next Elon Musk? I know not everybody can do it, but what, what's the contribution? We should all be thinking about Clint Eastwood has a movie in theaters. He's 91. He directed and starred in a movie and he's 91 years old. And I mean, Shatner's look around 90 us. and he's going into space. He's going into space. Yeah. What are you doing? But, yeah. They're sitting in there. <laughs> they're sitting at their computers bitching about everything. And I've kind of had it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's just like, you know, what are you doing to make the world better? You know, writing a tweet, not doing it. No, not doing it. 
No, and and the the meaningful nature of you know William Shatner was not always a great success, and he's reinvented himself how many times over the last 25, I've 30 lost years? Count. Yeah, and it, it, talk about an aspirational figure. Whether he's recording a prog rock record, which I saw him perform live in a club, whether he's doing a one man show, whether he's winning Emmys for Boston Legal and then the practice, whether he's writing books, uh. It's unbelievable. And now and he's he has going a new album, too. He has yeah. a new album where he talks. He sort of talks about that whole period of time where he's living out of the back of his truck. Now, I have to say, I, I've only heard one song from it, and I still don't think it hand, holds a candle to has been, which no. is like his crowning achievement, which is like a legitimately brilliant album. Um, you're going to die. <laughs> not before love... he goes to space. He's not. <laughs> But I mean, you know, the, the, the has been thing where he talks about two thumbs down, you know, and he's like the, 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 you know, the ever was always trying, you know, and, and, and it's exactly what we're talking about. The people sitting on the sidelines, you know, complaining, you know, about how, you know, you're not doing what they want you to do and, and, and that he's always trying. I mean, it, it, all you need to know about Shatner are in those songs, you know, sense of loss, sense of triumph. You know, um, you know, it's just kind of and common people. His cover of the pulp song with Joe Jackson is so great. So great. Um, I'll see anyway. what I can do. You know, I have to say, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, the other thing I would point out, you know, when we're making the comparison to Bond, that I think when Shatner, who played this really, you know, alpha male, awesome uh, um, uh, captain of the Enterprise in the 60s and could have been one of the most handsome men to walk the planet at the time. Um, he came back to Star Trek, you know, 10, 15 years later, and he was still great. Yeah. Sean Connery, who was also brilliant and amazing as James Bond, came back 15 years-ish later to play James Bond. Not as great. Not, uh, dude, he wasn't know, as great between 1967 and 1971. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you I know, mean, he skipped. He skipped a movie and came back, and it was like, oh. I mean, you know, never say never again. Is he? He, kept, he doesn't he kept doing it. He kept going out there and look. In terms of other uh, roles, he was absolutely great later course. on in his life. So I, I, I don't Fantastic. think that his his performance in those uh, later Bond films were his fault, honestly. Well, no, I don't I think mean, he's bad and never say never again. Uh, he's all right. He's not great. <laughs> Nothing about that movie is great. And but the other thing about that is, unlike Shatner, who gives 110 percent to everything he does, Connery is walking through diamonds are forever. He's walking through yeah. never say never again. He doesn't care. It's a paycheck. Yeah. Shatner, no matter what what it is, he gives 110 percent. Dude, if you want to see one of the greatest reintroductions in cinema history, his first moment in Star Trek, the motion picture, when that shuttle door opens and he's standing in that Admiral uniform, my God, what an Adonis. He gets it <laughs> twice in the motion picture. He is one of the yeah. great entrances in, in cinema history. You know, when he, he lands in San Francisco yeah. and in Star Trek too, it's another amazing entrance <laughs> when the doors open on the simulation and, and he walks out in silhouette, and, dude, come I on. Mean, oh my God, two movies in a row. He gets With like these incredible entrances. Uh, yeah. If that I mean, was a play, we'd still be applauding 40 years later. Yeah. 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 Come on. Anyways, so so Bond in the 60s, 
Well, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, back when the Bond movies were happening, um, you know, they were doing one a year and they yeah. were great. Dr. No from Russia would love Goldfinger one a year, all brilliant. Then you get two years, Thunderbolts, huge. One of the biggest movies ever made at the time. And uh, it stayed two years apart. All, really almost. I mean, you know, mouth, golden gun and spy. Love me. There was three years there. Spy. Love me was a big, big, big movie to make, but it was pretty well, much two yeah. years until, um, until uh, license to kill. But and that 89. was also because of the litigation with Saltzman. Yeah. Yep. You know, so that, you know, always it's litigation. That's always the problem there. It's like they would have gone to Spy Love Me, you know, say, oh, well, we weren't sure where to go with the franchise and Spy Love Me was so big and we doubled down. But also, you know, they had to get you know, a deal with the, you know, Saltzman situation when he was, you know, leaving and, and cashing out and sold his shares to um, United Artists. But, um, you know, yeah, for the longest time, that franchise was like clockwork. And some of the greatest Bond movies ever were produced there. It was the same thing with Star Trek, where you had for a while, every two years, like clockwork, a Star mm -hmm. Trek movie. Mm -hmm. And there were some really good movies done during that period. Then all of a sudden, like Bond, you know, it, it starts to grow these huge gaps. And I'm not talking about the gap between License to Kill and Goldeneye. That was, again, because yeah, yeah. of litigation. But I just I mean, say that is because the, the time was six years. So that's, the amount yeah. of time between uh, um, um, Skyfall and Spectre and then Spectre and No Time to Die. And I'm not even talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about had this been released on time, it would have right. been, what, six years or something. Right. So it, it was um, and, and, and it doesn't make the movies any better. You, and, you think, well, well they've been. The, the problem is that as with every franchise, it gets top heavy over time. It gets yep. more and more money being put into producers and actors and uh, the uh, above the line that it can't they, they can't make enough money to support a film made for a reasonable budget, which is exactly what's happening with Star Trek, where, you know, where, you know, once 2009 was a success and then, you know, Into Darkness sort of came out shortly thereafter. Not great. But then, you know, they just it took longer and longer. But it didn't lead to better Star Trek. It just right. le led to longer hiatuses between movies. And it's kind of what happened with Bond as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, also, people don't remember this because we, we weren't alive then. But the Bond franchise was one of the first franchise movie franchises maybe ever. It would play like 24 hours a day. Right. Like in New York City, you could go see Goldfinger 24 hours a day. And it was a, a huge I think another thing that Bond has in 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 uh, in common with Star Trek is that still, you know, you had the American middle class that was coming out, was being created in the wake of the greatest generation of World War Two. Right. When the Bond franchise hit in 62 and Dr. No came out, the globe trotting, most people had not been on a transcontinental flight. Right. You know, and and the the lifestyle that Bond was leading going to Jamaica or the Bahamas and going to these exotic locations was something strange new worlds, strange new worlds that people hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. And so the audiences were living vicariously through what James Bond was doing. And that was part of the appeal. And of course, Playboy magazine had hit and that it wasn't just the naked girls. It was the lifestyle that Hugh Hefner, the, 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 the great food, the great wine, the great women, the great suits, the great watches and cars and what it meant to be the a man I mean, and style that james bond had that's right and you could and, have a part of that yes and and so that whole playboy hugh hefner lifestyle was sort of also that was like a, a 
an American, the ultimate American male is exemplified by Playboy was, was then also exemplified by the great British secret agent who was also a former Naval commander and right. who wouldn't want to be him. I mean, he was, he was the man every man wanted to be and the, the man every woman wanted. And he was an aspirational figure that there wasn't someone like that. And, you know, Americans had, we had what Westerns, we had John Wayne, yeah. you know, who was aging, but now you, you give the world Sean Connery and you know, the, this Brit with his, his accent. And he was, I mean, he was truly, you watch that guy walk on screen. Come on, man. Even when he's thing- wearing some like powder blue velour outfit and Goldfinger, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know like, incredible. The other thing Bond and Star Trek had in common were great villains, because, of course, James Bond had Dr. No, it had Goldfinger, it had Stavro Blofeld, um, with the exception of Charles Gray. And, uh, you know, it's making mud pies. And and it's, you know, Star Trek had Khan and it had, well, Khan then had Khan. (laughs) Well, I mean, but, uh, Star, Star Trek had more antagonists, but still, yeah. the the antagonists were as colorful as Bond himself. Yeah. Like and General Chang, sorry, Darren, but yeah, I would give put General Chang up there too, Christopher but I mean, Plummer. But you all like in the series, though, in the in the sixties, yeah, of course, the 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 characters. Khan was certainly one. You know, John Colicos, Core, the Klingons, Kang, uh, Koloff, uh, the Romulan commander, all of these people where you had to make a villain formidable to make Kirk have jeopardy. And the same was true of Bond. I George mean, Decay. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but I mean, you, you look at people like, like uh, uh, Largo. Dr. No, big, from Russia with love. Bigger, Goldfinger, even bigger. Now, here comes the biggest Bond of all. Thunderball. Now, James Bond does it. Everywhere. Look up. Look down. Look out. Here comes the biggest Bond of all. Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Salzman present Sean Connery in Thunderball. Produced by Kevin McClory. Panavision, Technicolor, a United Artists release. Thunderball. Like he was easily like some Euro trash villain, but that guy might have been a little older than Bond, but he had the ladies, he had the yacht, he had the organization behind him. I mean, you like that. You, I would have been, I, if I could have been Largo, with, I would have been that guy. With both eyes, though. You yeah, don't want to lose the eye. But I would have worn a patch if my both eyes worked just to look as badass as he did. They look pretty bad. I wouldn't want it to be Goldfinger, but you know, I don't know about that. I, I don't think that would have been so bad. I think so. Uh, if you could be any James Bond villain, who would it be from the 60s? No, from any, any Bond villain. We're just gonna uh, say Silva from Skyfall. No, God, that's a good question. If I could be any, I think, uh, hmm. not a great movie. I would have wanted to be Francisco Scaramanga. Oh, nice. That's a good pick. <laughs> you know, I pick. mean, big, yeah, because like not a great film, but if I could have been that guy and led his life, fuck yeah. You know, honestly, I, I think I'd want to be Alec Trevanian. Ah, double O eight. Yeah, double eight. Yeah. Double six. I don't know. It was one of them. 
Yeah. That's a good one, you know. That's it, a good it, one. But you know, he was a traitor. He was he a was. traitor to the cause. Where yeah, Scaramanga, like they I'm gonna abandon say him. They abandoned him. He had every right to be a traitor. Oh, so you're sensitive <laughs> to the plight of the, well, the Leon's Cossacks. I don't know, but I have, I have to <laughs> I, I have to say Sean Bean's a very handsome man. He, he got he would have gotten a lot of play, and uh it looked like he was a pretty good double O. I, I, I got, I, you know, this is a tough question. This is a tough question because there's so many great villains. You know, my first instinct would have been Dr. No, but the problem is, you know, it, he lost his hands. I, I like yeah, my right. hands. I, I want to keep my hands. I don't want to be Michael. K- I don't want to be Michael Caine and the hand. So uh, I'm not, uh, but I did like the Mandarin collar. So if I could keep Dr. No's Mandarin collar. So I guess I'd go with Hugo. Oh, Drive. that's a clamp it is. First, there was a dream. Now, there is reality. Here, in the untainted cradle of the heavens, will be created a new super race, a race of perfect physical specimens. You have been selected as its progenitors. Like gods, your offspring will return to Earth and shape it in their image. You have all served in humble capacities in my terrestrial empire. Your seed, like yourselves, will pay deference to the ultimate dynasty which I alone have created. From their first day on Earth, they will be able to look up and know that there is law and order in the heavens. All units, start Operation Orchid. Well, at least with Hugo Drax, you could go into space like Shatner is now. Well, yeah, and he had the good goatee and everything, and he had the you know really clever one-liners. See, that and he had a woman in. that was starring the story of O that worked for him. I know, Corinne Clary. Clary. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know. I that's interesting. So those those are the villains. I think that's the boy. It's like therapy session over here. What Star Trek villain? Oh, good question, Rob. What Star Trek villain? Oh, I'd be core every day, mm. Sunday, twice on Sunday. What cool. about you? What about you, Darren? I think I'd be uh, Koloth. He's having more fun, probably. He's having more fun. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised. He's uh, also Trelane. Yeah, you can moonlight as Trelane. You know, you know that it, it, it hasn't been revealed, but maybe if we all get together and finally write a Star Trek novel, you're going to find out that that actually uh, Trelane is Koloth. Yeah, he just wanted to moonlight as a Klingon for a while. Absolutely. I thought it uh, might. Be- I will. I will read it. I'm I'm looking forward to reading it. You guys should do that. You should write that. Yeah, not gonna happen. Thumbs up. I mean, no, no. This is after I write my uh uh what happens at the end of the alternative factor when both Lazaruses take off together. Lazarus. Oh my god. The Lazari. You take it, take it, take it for I know a little something about selling books. Go with your first idea. No, let me tell you, just to say it, my I I actually started writing when they have the strange new worlds anthology. As a matter of fact, I found I didn't finish it. I was writing a story about when the Genesis device is activated, Khan is blown into the room where the two Lazaruses are fighting. Oh, I did the room, you know, with uh, Mark and, uh, you know, uh, no, what's his name? <laughs> no, yeah. I did. I started writing that and it's it was really bad. It was bad, <laughs> but I was writing it. <laughs> That's how a wild would, idea. How would it That's, be? Well, it was it was it was going to be they were going to discuss philosophy. Khan got them to stop fighting. See, when he, when he said blown in the room, I thought he meant, hey, Khan. No, no, no. 
it's basically waiting for Gatto in the alternate. Uh, yeah, well, the, oh, the idea yeah. was they're 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 at the they're at the genesis. Actually, in my mind, opened a door to the remnants of God's creation, mm-hmm. and that's where that that's where they were. Anyway, that's a long story. Yeah, yeah. maybe I should sell that because you know now they're they're getting rid of the entire last twenty years of novel continuity because they have to. Oh, make they it are. Stuff. Yeah, there's a big three volume event happening called Star Trek Coda. Oh, so it's like flashback or something where they're resetting the timeline. They're resetting the timeline Coda, so it reconciles. Michael Corleone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, this is the death of the good Star Trek universe that they've been oh. writing because they have to make it reconcile with Picard. Because they've done, they spent 20 years doing a post-Nemesis, post-Dominion War timeline, which, by the way, has been pretty excellent across Mm. all the different, but now it doesn't reconcile with Picard. So now they're going to go, well, they're taking all these writers that do a really good job with Star Trek and asking them to reconcile with where they've taken Star Trek now. So it's like uh, Star Wars, where they got rid of the extended universe and replaced it with a whole new mythology. They're doing the same thing with Star Trek. And huh. now they're going back in because that one's less good than the one they had. So they're going back into that and bringing all those characters forward from the forgotten, <laughs> the Legends universe, and they're making them canon, which is brilliant. Sounds excellent. Can't wait. <laughs> so Bond. Bond, Bond and beyond. Was a huge huge phenomenon in the 60s it's hard to really uh describe it so uh you probably should read my book nobody does it better which does a much better job of uh, uh walking you through the uh six, the, the amazing success of bond over the years so um you know obviously with captain kirk the impossible happened we thought they would never be able to recast captain kirk or would recast or have the audacity to cast captain kirk uh chris pine played him in the in the movies, but you know, to their credit, at least they said this is another universe. This is not right. William Shatner. This is this is a different Captain Kirk. Um, and and I think most people would say that that was fairly uh, successful casting, at least mm-hmm. to a certain to the extent that he embodied that character. He was great. Um, it was the writing that let Kirk down, I think. So he wasn't are, written like Kirk. Where are you on uh, on Bond, which has been recast so many times? Do you have a favorite James Bond? Well, look, to me, like the original series, to me, uh, it's weird that we now talk about Star Trek. Like, what is your favorite Star Trek? Because for most of our lives, for the first 20 years that I was alive on planet Earth, there was only one Star Trek. And to me, that still is Star Trek. And when I was a kid, obviously, um, when I was born, I was born the year that You Only Live Twice came out. And um, I did not, obviously, I didn't see Bond movies until I was, I, I, the funny thing is, is I saw Bond and probably Star Trek around the same time, which is 72 when it went into strip syndication and I was five years old, very impressionable. So uh, Sean Connery was my James Bond because Live and Let Die hadn't been made yet. It's a matter of life. It's a matter of death. It's a matter of a beautiful Italian spy, seven killers, a voodoo witch doctor, a living corpse, a gorgeous double agent, 12 cars, five planes, 10 acres of land, a wedding reception, a double-decker bus, a fleet of speedboats, a sea of crocodiles, the beautiful sorceress named Solitaire, the man with a steel arm, and a retired Navy LST, all against one man. My name's Bond, James Bond. 
Roger Moore is James Bond, 007. In Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die, 007 is on a worldwide manhunt, and the body count is going up. It's livelier, it's deadlier, it's Roger Moore as James Bond, 007, in Live and Let Die. From United Artists, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Live and Let Die. So there was only Sean Connery. So to me, the Sean Connery, the Sean Connery Bonds are, that is James Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the ABC Sunday Night Movie. That I used to have to beg my parents. Dr. No. And isn't it interesting that our experience of both Star Trek and Bond was through television? Totally. Yeah. You know, I mean, we didn't. Obviously, my parents thought it was amusing that I it was every time I brought up something I loved as a kid, my parents would like laugh knowingly as if they like. But I discovered this thing on TV. Like, I remember when I saw Planet of the Apes for the first time, I had to beg my mother. Because my bedtime was at nine o'clock and the movie started at nine o'clock. And somehow five minutes in, I didn't realize because the credits happened at the beginning. I thought it was over. And I begged my mother and she's like, "Okay, well, what are you begging me to stay up and see again? I'm like, it's called. I don't even know what that means. There's a spaceship in it. And my mom just was like, all right, you can stay up. But I did the same thing. Like my bedtime was nine o'clock and the Bond movies. If it was long, it would start at like eight or something. And, you know, Thunderball was like the longest Bond movie. And if it was on, I, I had to like beg my parents. Oh, it was still to after up. midnight. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it started like nine, it'd be on like till like 1231 in the morning. It would just it would go so long. And it also kind of made like I was not like a kid that just sat in front of the TV. I, I, I was very specific about my television watching mm-hmm. because I love Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and Godzilla movies and things. But, you know, when James Bond would come on TV, it wasn't just you're not just watching a TV show as a kid. It was magic. Oh, it was totally magical. You know, the Star Tunnel and ABC and the narration uh, by um, Ernie Anderson. And it was it was it was incredible. Like I had a little different experience than you because my parents took me to see as I was very young to see uh, Mail with the Golden Gun. Mm. Um, and I, you know, even though it's in retrospect, not a very good movie, uh, I fell in love with the movie. I mean, it was just like, of course. and and because it was just the coolest thing ever. And then I started watching them all on the ABC Sunday night movie, you know, and then, you know, I would never miss it. It was the same thing. I'd go to my parents and say, you got to let me stay up. And it was like that, that and the Oscars were the, the, the only Sundays they would yep. let me stay up, Yep. Um, you know, to watch, uh, watch, watch that. And uh, it was the best. It was the best. And I mean, so much of our love of Bond is wrapped up in those, you know, remembering what it was like to watch on the ABC Sunday Night Movie. And then, of course, they would start to show the older ones on Friday nights, which wasn't nearly as cool. No. Like, and, it, you know, and you knew which ones didn't get the good ratings because they kind of banished Honor Majesty's Secret Service to well, like they did Fridays. a horrible television cut of the movie. Yeah. 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 But you, you know, another thing about Bond was, and in a way, it also mirrors Star Trek, at least for me. My first Bond film in the theater was The Spy Love Me. Mm. And it was this giant, you know, uh, Live and Let Die, Man with a Golden Gun were were flat. You know, they weren't widescreen films like like uh, Dr. No and, and From Russia with Love and Goldfinger. And then when they expanded to widescreen movies with Thunderball, then they they weren't anymore with the more movies to see Spy Love Me on the big screen. That movie was epic i mean from the opening scene and the visual effects and the lotus and uh, uh, the action sequences i mean 
it was gigantic. And I saw it at the same theater I would later, two years later, see Star Trek The Motion Picture in. Watch out! It's our business and your people get killed. We both know that. Then, when this mission is over, I will kill you. Within minutes, New York and Moscow will cease to exist. He has Anya on there. I know, James. I'm sorry. I have to get her off. How? British agent in love with the Russian agent. Your time's running out, Stromberg. Yours too, Mr. Bond. Yours too. It's the biggest. It's the best. It's Bond. And beyond. And it was uh, this huge, giant, open box theater with this monster screen. And so Bond, for me, the transition from the small screen to the big screen was epic. That was the second movie I saw in a theater more than once. You know what the first movie is? You'll never guess. Because Spy Love Me was the first movie I saw twice in the theater. Uh, Pete's Dragon. King Kong. Nope. Freaky Friday in 1976. Wow. So wow. Freaky Friday twice. Then the, then the Spy Love Me because I hadn't seen Star Wars yet. Right. Or I had, but I hadn't seen it more than once because it was only playing in a few theaters. I mean, eventually I would see Star Wars a gazillion times. Yeah. But, it, you know, I, I had probably only seen it. Maybe I'd seen it once, you know, because it, it involves so much to go see it. But Spy Love Me, I remember went out to Long Island to go see it. Big, big deal. And then and then it, it's finally opened near near my house. And I went to see it again. And I love Spy Love Me. I make no apologies for it. It's one of my absolute top five Bond movies. Oh, Roger yeah. Moore is great in it. I love that movie. The movie, it's so and and you know, that movie came out on the heels of Star Wars. So yeah. I was 10 years old. And to see Star Wars and have that change my life, and then go see my one of my favorite things already, which was James Bond on the big screen and widescreen with it, it was it was the summer that i had to make movies i'm like i this is my calling this is what i want to do this is incredible it's interesting i i came very late to james bond uh because mm. uh, like you guys uh, both i i watched i watched them on tv but it didn't really it didn't really hit me very much uh until later when i when i went to college and i saw them in a theater Mm. Um, and seeing them on film was a completely different experience for me. And it inspired me to read the novels. And so I read all the novels after I saw, you know, the first few uh, Bond films on, on film. And it really opened it up to me. And I, and I loved them. And, uh, and luckily my roommate at the time had a Laserdisc player and he had all the Bond films available on Laserdisc. So that was, uh, that was much more enjoyable as well. But uh, it wasn't until later 
but uh, I, I made up for lost time. Well, and that That's was really a, interesting. Yeah. Another thing about Bond, too, was uh, a staple of home video, you know, Absolutely. in the in the early days. And when I worked in I worked in home video, I was 13 years old when I first started and collecting the Bond films was a big deal. And Honor Majesty's Secret Service was not available mm-hmm. on beta and VHS. The first time it ever came out was on RCA's CED, the Capacitance Electronic Disc, that <laughs> format. And I Select actually division. I got a player. I had to get a player. I bought this rental yeah. unit that no one ever bought from my own store. They sold it to me for 50 bucks. And the only wow. reason I bought it was to get Honor Majesty's Secret Service because it was the only way you could get the movie. Wow. And uh, yeah, and and that was the first time I'd ever seen it um, for real. Was that that that's RCA CED disc? So I'd... cool. Yeah. I yeah. remember I remember the year um, you know, working at a video store. It was the year that Octopussy and Never Say Never Again came out on home video. Which is and you kind of had to explain to them just people like, you know, oh, you know, I don't understand. Like, oh, you know, two James Bond movies came out the same year. And you'd have even then as a kid, as a teenager, I was like, well, this isn't a real James Bond movie. Sean Connery is in it. And, uh, you know, but it's Kevin McClory. And it's like you can see their eyes start to glaze over. And it's just like, you know, and it's like, well, should I watch Octopus or should I watch Never Say Never Again? I can't tell you. I had copies of both at the video store. I copied the both. You couldn't afford to buy, buy them. And I watched them all, both of them all the time. Oh, me I mean, too. as much as I don't like Never Say Never Again, I watch it all the time. And I watch Octopussy all the time. I mean, Never Say Never Again does have that cool motorcycle scene. It has good stuff. And Barbara Carrera is great in it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love Klaus Maria Brandauer, too. Yeah. They play the video game. I, I, can you believe that in a Bond movie? They play a video game. Let's play Bond. Which on the, uh, it was on the cover of Cinefix magazine. It's yeah. almost the same video game as in the uh, bar in Star Trek Three. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like you know, and and I know we're getting a lot of uh, our, our listeners are upset about. Uh, uh, they, they may be turning off the show as we speak because you've deigned to say something bad about Star Trek Three. Wow, I don't think yeah. that was a bad comment. That was merely a comparative comment. <laughs> No, you can't besmirch the memory of Star Trek Three, the genius of Star Trek Three. Sure. <laughs> not. Um, the other thing uh, that uh, that uh, Bond movies and Star Trek have in common is, of course, there is in the case of Star Trek, uh, there's one composer more than any who's associated with it, which is uh, Jerry Goldsmith. You know, when you think of Star Trek, you, you think of Jerry, and I think that uh, you know it's the same thing with Bond, even though he's been you know passed away now for for you know 10, 15, 15 years and did do a Bond movie much longer than that, John Barry. You know, is is Bond. Yeah, 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 and and so 
both those composers are very much associated with the their respective franchises. And of course, that was a big part of me getting the film music because I would steal my parents' record albums. They had Thunderball from Russia with Loving Goldfinger, and I would steal their record albums and listen to them incessantly. Oh, so good. Those, those, come on. What's your favorite Bond score? I would have to say Goldfinger. Absolutely. That's a good, that's a good choice, Rob. Uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. That's an excellent choice as well. Those are both so, great choices. The Living Daylights is kind of cool too. <laughs> I was gonna say the li- uh, that was John Barry's last yeah. last Bond score. That that you know what? I love Marvin Hamlish's Bond seventy seven theme. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like but, it. But it, the disco theme. Yeah, but meow, the, meow, meow, meow. but but John Barry used well eighties music in that score and i loved it love that you know what the best thing uh uh, in the hamlet score is though it's not bond 77 it's uh the tanker oh when when, when, when the the paris the liparis swallows the the submarines swallows shane rimmer you know what's really interesting about john barry's score for living daylights is he uses the pretenders song Where is yeah. everybody gone yeah. in yeah. in the score? So you know that was yeah. You know that that where has everybody? And it's but that was so great about Barry was that he would always be involved in writing the main title. So the main title would be part of the score. The score would be part of the main title, and that was you know the big falling out with Aha because they didn't want to have anything right. to do with John Barry, which is why yep. he uses all the pretenders and not, yep. you know, aha, because you know, they didn't like him and he didn't like them. Although and- the love theme in, in living daylights is, yeah. is from the title track and it's pretty good. I, I, I like that score. I mean, it's, it's not great. my favorite of John Barry's, but I, I, I think it's a really good score. And it was really sad knowing that that was his last score. And the, the, the fact that he almost came back, there, there were opportunities where he could have come I back. Know. I know. I mean, look, I think my least favorite Bond score is Michael Kamen's Living Daylight. I mean, uh, License, License to, to Kill score. Yeah.
And and I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I didn't like the title track for that when it first came out, but I've grown to love that song. I've got a license to kill. Oh, I love it. And, Ugh, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't, you know what? I recently rewatched the video. And I yeah. was like, you know what? I, it's just the music. The video is goofy. It is goofy, but I like the song. I and, have to say uh, that I, I hated that score. I really hate the score to GoldenEye. It works way oh, better. That's than the worst. Okay. You're both wrong. You're both Eric Sarah's score for Goldeneye is an abomination. I, I loved his stuff with with uh, Luke Besson, Lefemme Nikita, The Professional. That's fine, but his score yeah, for Goldeneye sucks. In those films. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Oh, that from the very beginning, the opening when you see the Bond's foot, foot, his legs running across bow, bow, the beginning of bow, the. Bow, 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 bow. Well, that's okay. The car chase any, music is the any musical good. instrument that sounds like you're hitting a sewer pipe isn't doesn't work for me. Thank God for John Altman. No relation. He's the guy who, in a few days, rescored the uh, truck t- chase through St. Petersburg with the tank bond theme, the tank chase, yeah. because uh, 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 Eric Sarah decided he didn't want to use the bond theme at all. Idiot. Yeah, I know. And they, boy, the Broccoli's hate him too. <laughs> like, everybody hates him. Although I have to say, you know, Martin Campbell did say he says, "Look, we tried something different. It didn't work out, but we tried it." And, and that's something else that the Bond movies did. They never hired A-list directors, but they hired people who were passionate and got it. Like yeah. Terrence Young, he was James Bond. Yep. Yeah. Warren Campbell was on no one's A-list. But right. look, Goldeneye and Casino Royale, yeah. amazing, fantastic. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he might not have been... the franchise twice. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he, uh, I mean, come on. You lot watch, you know, Mark, I don't know if you remember, but when we saw Casino Royale, we saw it together. We saw yeah, it at the we Grove. Did. With, yep, uh, we did. With Mary. And yep. um, when we walked out, I was a little underwhelmed at first. Really? You know, I I, I, I don't know if I, that I remember. I don't remember. I remember walking out. And uh, 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 it, it's funny because when I first met you, it wasn't just Star Trek that bonded us together. It was Bond because Bond I met bonding. you. I met you in 94 at Comic-Con. We James bonding. And we were bonding and we were just, we we James bonded, and then I remember you got the poster, the advance poster for Goldeneye framed in yes, your yeah, cool, right, cool my, apartment. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, it had that poster was just amazing. It was golden awesome. poster, the golden poster with the gun yeah. barrel and the 007 in the middle. I mean, yeah. and you had that up, and we both went. I think you got us into a screening. It might have been Spartan Advertise. I might be remembered. No, nope. we went to I MGM. Was just going to bring this up. No, we went for World is Not Enough. We went to to see World is Not Enough at MGM. Oh, is that what it was? Okay, yeah, and we loved it. <laughs> I I love I still like World is not enough. 
But That's we did right. see, I mean, we saw Goldeneye together too. And um uh No, a Goldeneye I saw in San Francisco. I might have seen Oh, you did? I, I think I saw I think oh, we did see it on Christmas Day. We yeah. went to see three movies that year. And I so we went to see Goldeneye and two other movies. I don't remember what they were. But um but yes, oh. we did see Goldeneye. I'd already seen Goldeneye okay. once and I'm sure you had too. But so yeah, Christmas we went to MGM early. to <laughs> Christmas came around. We went to see uh um World is Not Enough at, at MGM. And no. we, it was a really small screening room. Yep. And and everyone was talking about it. Oh, it's not good. And we came out. We're like, that's great. We love that movie. It's I, I, Pierce's best movie. I, I still there's a lot of it. I love there's good things in it, but it does not. In retrospect, Golden Eye is a better movie, you know, and and yeah. uh, and and world is not enough. It tried some interesting things. Obviously, Sophie Marceau is great, you know, less so Carlisle is less interesting. Um, there's some really cool stuff in it, but, yeah. um, but you know, the, the ending on the submarine is terrible. And Denise Crosby as the nuclear scientist is not good. Not huge, Denise Crosby, huge. Denise Richards. Yeah. yeah Denise, Denise Richards. Richards. Yes. Denise Richards. It doesn't Denise Crosby, many... I would have, I would have believed Denise Crosby as a nuclear scientist. Denise Richards, however. Yeah. No. How that happens. You should I've... get down on your knees to Starfleet. What? <laughs> God. Uh, I get down on my knees for you, babe. What's up? Hey. Easy. Hey, now this is a this is an all ages podcast. Oh, uh, is it? This is why you get into trouble, Rob. I was just bowing, bowing. <laughs> cool. Um. So, uh, but uh, yeah. So and then so obviously, like we talked about, there a lot of these roles have been recast over time. Um. Uh, but you know, unlike other franchises, including Star Trek, I kind of like every actor who ever played Bond. Like, I, I am sure, with you one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't have one I don't like. And, and, and um, you know, look, if people said push comes to shove, Sean Connery is my favorite. But but I love Roger Moore and I don't get the hate towards Roger Moore. He's different. He's sophisticated. He's charming. He's 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 not a man who's and he's great fist. in Spy Love Me. He's dangerous. He's spy love me. He he is. I mean, he gets the job done. Uh, he's great. And, you know, unlike, uh, you know, Sean Connery, I would never buy, you know, as a clown an octopusy. I, I, people hate that scene. I actually think it's fairly clever. Yeah. You know, um, uh, he, he dresses as a clown. That whole scene, there's a lot of tension. There's great John Barry music. Um, you know, it's probably one of John Glenn's best directed sequences. Yep. The suspense as the bond, the bomb is ticking yep. down. And, you know, he's trying to get the, them to listen to him, that there's a bomb at the circus. I mean, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but I think it, it's actually executed fairly well. Um uh, you know, and then you have uh, uh, um, uh, Timothy Dalton, who is good as Bond. I know a lot of the kids today, like he's their favorite, which I don't get. They're just contrarians. But he's 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 solid. I like um, him and a lot. He would have grown into the role. You know, I think had he had I mean, License to Kill is awful. I, I don't get the love that that movie gets. All now it gets all I, I don't either. Uh, it's I mean, so it's a cheap movie. and not it's not good at all. But it's better than Spectre. Uh, yeah, and then of course Pier, 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 Pierce's Pierce's is good, but was let down by the writing. Daniel Craig is is phenomenal, and George Lazenby was great. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's not a weak there's not a weak Bond other than David Niven in Casino Royale. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I, I think I think Daniel Craig has been uh, also let down, like Absolutely. Pierce Brosnan was let mm. down. Uh, Casino Riles, obviously, it's a great movie. Um, you know, it's so funny. I think what, what's become one of my favorite opening scenes of any of the Bond films is Casino Royale's 
uh, opening sequence because you've got the so what's happening so in the great. present when he sits down and talks with uh, that that the guy, the station chief who's bent, yeah. you know, and and the way Bond is just sitting in his office made you feel it, did he? And then you flash back to the 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 uh, connection mm-hmm. that he has yeah. the fight in the bathroom, yeah. and you realize that that Bond is like. You know, and then he ruthlessly just puts a bullet in that dude's head, and and then yeah, considerably the second one is easier. Yeah. You know, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. wow, that's you. It, it really sets the tone for what's to come, and it works yeah. really, really, really well. And then you have the parkour scene, which once again shows Bond being at the forefront of action. So a lot of people saying, "Oh, Born Identity, um, Mission Impossible is sort of taking some of the ground. They've seeded some of the ground." But Casino yeah, Royale. Bond was first and and with the parkour scene just once again like reaffirms that you know it's Bond does it better than anybody and, yeah, and that which is, is so true great. of also Goldeneye that whole scene yeah. in the opening the 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 fact what is it the 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 the, the dam whatever yeah yeah that right. whole action scene is really well done with the way 006 and 007 coordinate between the it's really I mean Martin Campbell really knew his stuff except unfortunately because his work had been so brilliant uh, Derek Metting's miniature work is not great in Goldfinger. And no, it had always Goldeneye. been in Goldeneye. It had always been amazing up until that point. And that movie, it's really, you know, it's very late in his career. I think he died before the movie came out. Yeah. And um, it's not great. I mean, the no, airplane and uh, the, the satellite dish. And, you know, it's just, it's too bad because I love miniature. Unfortunately, the technology of movies had moved faster than Metting's uh, uh, work did. Yeah. yeah, but if you look at his work in Moonraker, it is genius because unlike Star Wars, they didn't have the time to do all this optical printer stuff. So they were actually shooting using the camera, doing all, a lot of the stuff in camera. And oh, it's incredible. I have to say one of my favorite effect shots of all time is when the Moonraker shuttles lifting off yep. and they're actually using sugar to come out of the to show the, the smoke from. And yeah. it looks absolutely real that I love the work. And I mean, some of it's goof like at the beginning even though I loved it as a kid because I built the model kit of the Ravel model kit of the shuttle on top of the 747. Right. I do love no, the Moonraker shuttle, but, but it's still but awesome. The reveal <laughs> of the Drax space station, oh, you know, a, a, with, with the moon and, and the earth and, 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 and light starting to hit the space. It's so great. And even the shots of the earth itself as the Moonraker shuttles coming up through the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And, and because yeah, it was just, it's great. That's why that movie gets a bad rap. Yes. It's ridiculous. You have to go with it. You have to be willing to go on the trip, but there's so much about Moonraker. That's great. The score, um, obviously that Corrine Clary being chased by the dogs that I, and I love that the dry wit of, of Michael Lonsdale as Hugo Drax, you know, it's like, yeah, it's when, just when the goofiness the up in the tree and is going to shoot at, at Roger Moore. And then Roger Moore pretends to shoot the pheasant and he misses. And, and he, and, and he says, Oh, you missed Mr. Bond. And he goes, did I? And you see the assassin fall out of the tree. So great. You know, it's it, it, look, I love Moonraker. You know, I, I remember that the trailer for Moonraker was really serious. You know, and it showed Corrine Clary being chased through the woods oh, by the yeah. dogs. By the Dobermans. Was, yeah, it was a really serious trailer. And and I was like, oh, I was so ex- after Spy Love Me. I was so excited because going into space and everything, I will always love Moonraker. I'm a Moonraker apologist. Yeah, there's some really goofy humor. And it's in a way, Moonraker kind of has the same problem that Star Trek five has in that. A lot of it is undercut by this ridiculous humor that, for yes. whatever reason, they put in the movie. If they had taken all of that goofy, like, 
the 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 lock has the close encounters you know do 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 yeah and the double take pigeon oh yeah and the gondola the gondola the tricked out gondola all that stuff is just it's just goofy and it undermines if they had played that straight that movie would have been everyone's favorite bond just so you know as it happens i'm going to be doing a special cut of star trek five to include the double take pigeon so, <laughs> um, look, look forward to that in the future because will that be will the pigeon be doing a double take for Uhura's fan dance you'll see good guess the Lu- Lu- Lewis Gilbert director's edition um so let me let me ask you guys uh, because we did this for Star Trek we should do this for Bond tell me your most um your guilt not guilty pleasure but like uh, you know sort of oh underrated a Bond movie and then also tell me what you think is overrated so we've done this for Star Trek in the past. I'd love to know what you think is the most overrated Bond movie and the most underrated Bond movie. Hmm. Uh, well, I think overrated for me is License to Kill because I hated it when it came out the summer mm-hmm. of 89. Yeah. And I, I just hated it. I hated everything about it. I was so I was actually angry when I walked. out. I think you and I might have seen it together in Westwood. Um, I didn't. No, like I it. was still living in New York at the time. I saw it in New York. I, but the, oh, remember, that's right. That's are, before I knew you. What am I thinking? I was five these, years before these, I even met you. These are kids. These are kids that a never saw Miami Vice and never saw Wise Guy, so they don't right. realize they don't they don't they don't realize it's a bad Miami Vice episode, and it doesn't do a uh, Bond undercover pretending to be the friend of Robert Davi half as well as Vinny Terranova and Sonny Steelgrave. No, and I I hated it. I I just hated it. And it, it, the the fact that it's grown in estimation over the years by people, I'm like, what? But those are people that weren't born when when Bond was. So they hadn't see, they had no history with that franchise. I thought it was like you said, it was low rent TV. And you know what? Now is the Star Trek three of the Bond franchise a view to a kill. Millennials love that because the first movie they ever saw in a theater, their first Bond movie, it's like Star Trek three. I don't get it. I keep reading all these people saying, oh, oh view to kill is great. You know, kill is awful. It's, it's, awful. it's probably the worst. It may be worse than License to Kill. I have to say that I reviewed a view to a kill for my high school newspaper. And I saw it way in advance because I used to go to these blind booking screenings that they had in Washington state. Cause they had to show movies to bookers. And it was very funny because the prints of that film said fresh broccoli on them. Cause they didn't want anyone to know. Right. what was yeah, in them. It was. Oh, that's And right. so it said fresh really broccoli. Great. And it was pretty funny. So I, I saw it and I was, I was horrified. I was so bored by that movie, there was nothing in it I liked. A fire truck chase. It was the Keystone Cup. It's like, you know, I, I'm James Bond and I'm Dick Tracy. But yeah, it's know, just, it's like, it was oh. so not. I mean, I love the James. I think people love it because all they remember is the theme song, right. which is great. So so you're saying that your overrated movie is uh, License to Kill. What's your underrated Bond movie, Rob? Moonraker. Moonraker. Great choice. Yeah. Okay, Darren, what about you? Overrated, very, underrated. That's very funny. My mine is almost the exact opposite of Rob's, but um, I'm going to say that the most underrated movie is uh, uh, from Russia with Love, because uh, so many times, you know, modern people talking about James Bond just simply forget about it uh, because it's it's not Goldfinger and it's not it's not the bigger flashy uh, Bond. It's it's a very simple spy story.
Although edited for television, some parents may consider this James Bond film unsuitable for younger family members. Viewer discretion is advised. Tonight, James Bond here. 007 heats up the Cold War and rocks the foundations of power. Go on, I'm fascinated. It's his toughest assignment. I couldn't agree with him more. Bringing him face to face with death. My orders are to kill you and deliver the letter. But there's always time for love. You're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. The best Bond returns. When the smoke first fire. The spy thriller from Russia with love. Should be routine from here on in. Next. And, uh, it's also the closest that, to Fleming's novels. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I think also it has it has a lot of the uh, you know misogyny charges uh, in it uh, against Bond. But you know that's from people who actually haven't watched the film and uh, seen what the actual story is, and that he's actually being taken advantage of. Yeah. And uh, it, it's you know so it, it's it's one of those things that I think. It deserves a, a, another look from people. Um, and I have to say that the overrated is Moonraker. I, I don't understand the love for Moonraker. And I, I know that, Mark, you love it. And, Rob, you love it. I, I can't. You know why it. we love it, though, Darren? Because it's great. <laughs> I second the motion. <laughs> well, who, who can argue with that? <laughs> okay. So oh, 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 overrated, overrated, I would say. I would, I think, I would say a view to a kill, which I, I mentioned earlier. Um, I can't believe I even have to call it overrated that anyone would say it's a great movie. Um, they love Christopher Walken, who, who is, a, a, who's great as a Bond villain in King of New York. Not so much in a view to a kill. Oh man, <laughs> I, it's so ridiculous. It's so just silly. It's like a cartoon. <laughs> I, although, yeah, I mean, I, I do like the idea, you know, the fight on the Golden Gate Bridge, and you know, he, uh, Walken says after he, you know, he. Uh, he he fell out or you know uh but you know it's the same scene as goldfinger and then um you know the whole thing takes place in a mine and grace jones goes all uh uh darth vader at the end it's just like oh my god it's terrible um, yeah you know i mean i remember seeing it in a theater and i was heartbroken i was so excited new bond movie couldn't wait you know sitting there and the the the, the Lowe's Astor plaza in new york and thinking oh and just was crestfallen it was and it, i have was to say of, uh, the one person who acquitted himself, though, John Barry. Oh, that's great a great score. score. And Duran Duran. Great, great song. Great score. Um, yeah, there's there's like any Bond movie, no matter how bad, there's always good things in it. Yep. There's no movie that's irredeemable. So most underrated, I would say. Well, Darren, I wouldn't say from Rush Love only because that is my favorite movie of all time. I mean, my, my favorite movie, Bond movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, so um I, I, I would, you know, if we do, we'll, we'll talk about our favorite Bond movies. And I'll say that right now for Marshall Love is my favorite Bond movie. Yeah, so I would say most, most, most underrated, most underrated movie. Um, well, you're going to laugh. Diamonds are I, forever. No, God, no. Um, <laughs> you just killed James Bond. Um, Mr. Q, Mr. Q. Um, and it makes no sense. It makes less sense than The Big Sleep. Uh, uh, Times of Error. <laughs> I, came, I came here looking for uh, for plenty. What? Um, okay, so um, I think my you're gonna laugh, but I think my most underrated uh, um, uh, Bond movie uh, would be um, because people hate it so much, there's so much vitriol towards it. Octopussy. Okay, I could, yeah, know? I don't understand the hate. I liked Octopussy. 
People hate Octopussy. It, and if, if it wasn't that, I'd say maybe Quantum of Solace, which is not a great movie, but again, people hate and, and there's a lot about it that's really good. Yeah, you know what? I don't understand. I love Quantum of Solace. I've been a Quantum of Solace apologist the whole time. I don't think it's it it isn't great, but like you said, there's a lot of really cool stuff in that movie. And I the opera scene alone. Yeah, I, I mean the problem I have with that movie is they decided after the fact to edit it like a Bourne film. Yeah. So the editing is like you can't even see what's going on. And clearly it was not shot to be cut that way. Yeah. And it, it, I think the cutting really hurts that film. If you it's haven't read the short story, Quantum of Solace, read it. It's mm. very good. It is. Very you heard good. it here first. But unfortunately, they're changing the universe now to fall in line Are with uh, all the current Bond movies. Uh-huh. So all, all the Fleming stuff the is... taking away the Bond extended yeah. universe, which is all the books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> by, yeah. by the way, can I say that the, the most underrated, underappreciated theme song is Another Way to Die from Quantum of Solace? You may say that. You may say it. It's so good. That song is so good. Um, Come on, Jack know, White you know and Alicia Keys. <sighs> my most underrated theme song? Man with the Golden Gun by Lulu. Dude, he has a powerful weapon. He charges, he a, charges million a, shot. a million a shot. An assassin who's second to none. The man with the Golden Gun. Golden Gun. Another shot. Another poor victim. Gun. Has come but to a glittering end. <laughs> How many times have we sang that when we were drunk? Um, oh anyway. for, those of, for those of you who haven't heard my unreleased album, A View to a Bill, with my impersonation of William Shatner doing Bond themes, uh, don't oh, look we'll have to put find it, but I want to hear it. I'll buy it. Pretty good. Come on. Put no, that can, can, on can, can, can we put that on um, on social when this episode drops or at least uh, some, some maybe we can ma- maybe release some clips from it. But have yeah, you let, all let's of do that. Songs? Not all of them, but a oh. lot of them. You got to release yeah. that. Come on. Why not? Review to a bill. Uh, yeah. When he goes up in space, if we don't have that in our possession, okay. there's something wrong with the world. Come on. I mean, you know, I I remember your 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 uh, uh, Bill Shatner covers of what I really want to hear the Gene Roddenberry cover of Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, favorite Bond movie, Rob? My favorite Bond movie. You know what? I have to say only because it, I I say it's my favorite. I don't think it's the best, but my favorite is Spy Love Me, only because it blew my mind seeing it in a theater. I think the best James Bond movie is probably from Russia with love. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you. Spy love me is in my top five. Casino Royale is in my top five from Russia. With love is my number one. Yeah. Um, you, you asked me uh, favorite, Madison not Super best. Movie. Yeah, no, no, I yeah. I'm with you. Uh, look, I, one thing this proves is I, 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 you know, we really, we did a bait and switch. We did a, a, a bond uh, episode of uh, our Star Trek podcast. Yeah. We really, we really should have done before. a Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. We've done it before. We've bait and switched before. We, we should have really done a, a, a Bond podcast. But Next week, Logan's wants. run. You know, people are asking for that. I know. That's why I said that. Uh, another movie that was I saw in the same theater as I saw Spy Who Loved Me in Star Trek, the motion picture. And set in the I, 23rd century. I was so. just going to say, we could make that argument <laughs> that this is the 23rd century. Meanwhile, podcast. on Earth. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. Well, that no, doesn't make any sense. I was going to say maybe Star Trek Discovery is set in the same universe as Logan's run. Not going to touch that at all. What are you going to do? Not going to do anything. We're going to go back and watch some James Bond movies. Put them all and in next, carousel. And next, and next week, it's no time to die in theaters where it belongs. James Bond it. will return. 
No, uh, I can't I'm wait. so excited. I've never bought tickets for a movie twice to see it for the very first time. <laughs> a year and a half apart. I couldn't be happier because uh, October is my birthday month. It's Marktober. So I am so excited to celebrate Marktober with James Bond. I, I have to tell you. I'm glad. Now, let me ask the two of you. What are your... What do you think this movie is going to be? How, how, how good do you think it's going to be? Well, Rob, you had to go and ruin it, huh? I was so excited about it. You know, I go in hoping for the best, obviously. We all do. I mean, I'm, I get excited for every Bond film. I don't love the trailers. Don't love them. I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, this whole shared universe that they built with Spectre. No, it's, like, it's the one franchise I like standalone. I kind of like standalone. Like I thought Quantum was an interesting experiment, but they didn't really fall through. And Inspector was just so kind of ludicrous. I'm just, know, sick of, I'm just sick of I'm watching new. movies and TV shows made by people who are just really not all that into it. Yeah. That's my problem. Although I got to tell you, I think this movie is going to be great. Well, I know I you hope, always I think so. Right? Great. But, but I really do, because I'll tell you, I carry Fukunaga. I love True Detective. I love uh, uh, Beasts of No Nation. I, I know he got involved in the writing. I really think this movie is going to be something special. It's going to be long. That, I think the trailers have barely scratched the surface. I, I think some of the, you can tell some of the action, some of those, even the, there's that one scene like in the woods when the car flips over. I, I mean, I think this movie, I think this movie's going to be great. I really I hope do. So. I want it to be fun. You know, I mean, I want it to be gritty and, and cool and hip and I want it to be fun, you know, but I mean, Casino Royale just nailed it. Uh, I mean, it's one of the best Bond movies. And, um, you know, I'd be I'd be thrilled if Dakota to Daniel Craig's Bond uh, uh, tenure was great. I, I would love nothing more for, for this movie to be amazing. I hope I, so. I, I, I just I'm think worried. that there's things in it. There's a couple of things in the trailers that I look at and go, huh? Like the scene where like Bond's in the middle of a ballroom and everybody's sort of parts ways. Are those all assassins? Like I think this movie's gonna have. Oh, it's a dance off. Yeah, it's well, the dance off exactly. I think this movie's gonna be a lot better. I'm because Spectre to I me was just right. a bore. It was just a, none of it. It was terrible. It was it was it was handsomely made, but it was so boring. And they put Bond in the snow and he didn't ski. I know, uh, which is I, crazy. I I I. I, I I, 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 how can you and do I'm that? I'm excited about Phoebe Waller Bridge, and I like the idea that you know Bond is retired, and that's you know Latasha Lynch has taken his um uh is the new 007 has you know his new designate like all that sounds cool, um but uh, I just the trailer seemed like a lot of like look nobody loves the Aston Martin more than me, but it's just like I guess we got like six Aston Martins in this. It's like overkill. It just seems like almost too much of a good thing. Even too much of a good thing. Even love can be too well, much. I don't understand why, like, his Aston Martin was destroyed in Skyfall. So, what, he went and bought another one and Q Branch tricked it out? I mean, I do like the fact they brought back the Aston Martin V8 from Living Daylights, though. I know. I know. And, and the Mujahideen. Yeah. No, just the, just the Aston Martin. Just the Aston Living Martin. Daylights. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I, I really wish... Daniel Craig would have skied though in this movie. 
I know it's amazing that they haven't done a good ski scene in a long, but that's why we like world is not enough. Yeah. At least but, it was like good ski. But scene. The ski scene was even that was kind of because their paramotors are following them and it's like, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. Well, you know, the fact that what's his name is dead. You know, the guy who did all the great skiing, Willie Bogner, Willie Bogner, you know, the stuff he did in Honor Majesty Secret Service and, you know, even in Fear Eyes Only, you know, as much as I, oh, that's, oh, that's my overrated pick. For your eyes only is my overrated pick. Okay. I, 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 people love that freaking movie. They're like, oh, it's Bond back to basics. I like it too. I think it's just dull and it's 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 not well directed and terrible score by Bill Conti. And you know, I just I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of that movie. But again, some scenes I love. Like I like the scene with Topol where Bond uh, yep. where he tells that he's not the real villain. Like so, there's there's there's, there's stuff in it I like. Teeth. Where, where they, they sing Anna Tefka together. Um, anyway, the ski the, the ski sequence is incredible. In yeah, the, the ski sequence is incredible. Unlike the one in the teaser of View to a Kill, where they play the right. Beach Boys. Okay, yeah. Rob Burnett, it's so great to have you back on the show and talking well, about something we all love so much, James Bond. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. What a, and you'll what be, a great time. You'll be back for Trexpert's Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast, where we'll be talking about uh, the immunity syndrome with Rob. Can't wait. One of my favorite Star Trek episodes, Unsung Genius. Yeah. You should wish us luck. <laughs> okay. And if you want to uh, uh, listen to Rob's, uh, Rob will be uh, uh, rendering his verdict on No Time to Die on the Burnett work. How can people uh, how can people find you, Rob? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Or, of course, you can find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work and my show, Rob Observations. And Rob has a new film now in theaters. Tango Shalom is a producer and editor on that. So check that out. It's still in theaters. And uh, I'm sure much like James Bond, Robert Meyer Burnett will return. <laughs> Until then, we want to thank uh, Bill Ritter, our great sound engineer, Zach Raggett, Peter Holmstrom and Natalie Miscali, our producers and uh, you can follow us on inglorious trek on twitter instagram and facebook so until next week keep on trekking ingloriously of course and renew our license to kill you expect us to trek <laughs> That's why the zero is double Missed the kiss, kiss, bam, bam He's suave and he's smooth And he can soothe you like vanilla The gentleman's a killer Mr. Kiss, kiss, bam, bam From the school that loves and leaves them A pity if it grieves them Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bangs Not a fool 
Like a knife, he cuts through life like every day is the last. He's fast and he's cool. He's from the school that loves and leaves them. A pity if it grieves them. Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bangs, not a You're listening to the Electric Surge Network. He always runs while others walk. He acts while other men just He looks at this world and wants it all. So he strikes like Thunderball. He knows the meaning of success. His needs are more, so he gives less. They call him the winner who takes all. And he strikes like Thunderbolt. Any woman he wants, he'll get. He will break any heart without regret. His days of asking are all gone. His fight goes on, and on, and on. But he thinks that the fight is worth it all. So he strikes, like Thunderball. Thunderball. 